Welcome to the RSP Cast. I'm Matt Waldman, and joining me this week is special guest Jeff Bell, football guy, football guy's draft guide, extraordinaire, you know, Bills fan, Ohio State Buckeyes fan, all around good guy, excellent fantasy analyst. Thought we'd have some fun today, just kind of chopping it up, talking a little bit about all these types of things, you know, the NFL, college game, dynasty, scouting, you name it. So welcome aboard, man. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Matt. I really appreciate it. Very excited to be here today, tonight. It's it's great. We have the Football Guys Dynasty show we just announced today. We are launching that, and so that's going to be very exciting. I'm doing that with Kevin Coleman and Christian Williams, the old crew from the Football Guys College show. So if you checked out the Football Guys College show and you enjoyed the content that we did, we have the Football Guys Dynasty show launching this week. Yeah, definitely worthwhile. And just basically all the podcast platforms that you that you can usually find the usual suspects of good podcast content. Exactly. And and if you are a longtime subscriber subscriber to the Dynasty show from Football Guys from the old great show that Chad Parsons and Jordan McNamara used to do, that'll come right in your feed, that same feed that that came in before. And so we're we're going to hit that feed and we'll be feeding you some more Dynasty content once again. See, look at that. See, that's awesome. So, let's dive right into it and talk a little dynasty here and just say who's a player from the past five years that you drafted as a rookie or that you wish you drafted as a rookie for every dynasty team who someone just comes to mind for you right off the bat is kind of a little aperitif to this yeah well i think the the easy answer so looking at this it's easy to throw out a guy like jamar chase or somebody like that that would have been an early pick my first, I think the, the layup answer would be Jalen Hurts is a guy that you probably could have gotten your second or third round, and now he's become a top three dynasty super flex asset. Um, and and that, that would be the easy answer. The other answer in my mind would be Amon Ross St. Brown, I think, was kind of slipping, and especially if you're somebody that relied heavily on draft capital. He was landing in the third round after he was a day three wide receiver and, and kind of slipping in those rookie drafts. And so... If you would have used a third-round pick or a very late second-round pick on Amon Ross St. Brown in every single one of your leagues two two years ago, you'd be pretty thrilled right now. And so while Jalen Hurts, I think, is the easiest answer that you can go with, I'll go with Amon Ra as well. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a great answer. I mean, you got to touch upon Amon Ross St. Brown as an excellent selection out of all of those just because you're seeing him as a high-volume, reliable option who may get a chance this year to show a little bit more as a field stretcher. We'll see if that happens. Do you have any thoughts about him maybe becoming that kind of vertical thread, at least on some level? How would you characterize that aspect of his game? I think he needs to when you see uh, now Jamar Jamar Gibbs coming in. He can do some of those things. You can send him on a wheel route, those types of things. He can work downfield as that type of receiver. And we've seen a little bit of camp highlights even today of him trying to make those plays. But they really need with Gibbs coming in and with Sam Laporta coming in, Amon Ross St. Brown to stretch himself to create a little bit of that space for one, those guys to operate underneath, but two, to to switch up defenses and, and make it more difficult to cover him. They really need to get Jameson Williams in the lineup as well, I think, because he's going to bring that ability to take take it off the top and I think that that's the expectation on him but at the same time if you watch that film in Alabama he did a great job on working underneath and taking the ball and creating after the catch and so I think you've got all these different targets that are going to be high value high volume targets in that Lions offense that can do great things 
but you're going to have to have some of those players work in different areas of the field just to keep defenses honest. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And it kind of leads into a guy I would talk about who I thought was a player who wound up in a situation that hurt his prospects more than what I think was anything negative about his game. And it's the guy they trade sixth and seventh round draft picks for to get during, you know, just last week is Denzel Mims because a player who could possibly fulfill that role in a play action offense with a good offensive line and a quarterback who connects with players in that kind of aspect of the game is Mims. And I, I would argue that Mims is one of those players who, without really any fault to his own, other than maybe between year one and year two getting sick, but he got, it was food poisoning. I mean, you know, it's not like, I don't know how irresponsible you would deem someone with food poisoning who lost 20 pounds and then never really got, 20 pounds is a shit ton for a, for a football player in like June. I mean, to get back on track, if you lost it in December and then you can rebuild your body and then come back in June and July and you're looking great, that's one thing. But to be behind the eight ball in June is awful. Yes. So so getting him, you can get a player who's a contested catch player. You know that Zach Wilson probably wasn't making the best decisions in terms of adjustments and being on the same page and being exacting about what he wanted. Whereas Jared Goff may not be Aaron Rodgers in terms of exactitude. He, he may be a more laid back, good veteran who understands what he needs to communicate to a young receiver. And Mims has a real good shot in the first five to six games to prove that he belongs on the field and that he can be an option. What do you think about that? I think that's fair, and, and yeah, I think that he meets a lot of the requirements where you're looking for that type of question, where you're looking for a guy with physical attributes who kind of get, gets caught in the middle, where they kind of have that lost rookie year, and then a new regime comes in, and they implement a new offense, and they're trying to do different things that the regime that drafted him to put him into that coaching staff, that coaching staff's all completely gone, and then they try to put a new offense in. You're implementing a brand new rookie quarterback. You're switching quarterbacks. All these different environmental factors that are outside of your control. And to take a player that does have those physical tools and, and Mims, of course, certainly drop jumps off the page. And the Lions really need that. They need that big X. And, and he could do a lot of that and, and be able to, to attack those different areas of the field and add that to that, that offense for sure. Yeah, and before we move on to the guy, I want to know who you feel fits this question. I would just add that Justin um, or Josh Reynolds fit this question years yeah. ago with Jared Goff when he got drafted by Jeff Fisher's group, I believe. It may have been Jeff Fisher's group or it may have been early on with Sean McVay. He, I think it was first year with Sean McVay he got drafted. But he he ended up, he was a contested catch player that you seem thought maybe was more of a, a rangy Mike Evans type as opposed to a guy who runs dig routes. And then he repurposed his game to being at least reliable enough to run out of the slot with that. And you can see where that talent in the red zone was there for him to make some big plays. You saw flashes of that this past year, a couple of years with the Lions as a contributor. Um, but you've never really seen him been targeted in the way that he used to be at Texas A&M. And so I kind of look at Mims, who you brought up great points about the switchover and the coaching staff. And when he... You know, when he opened his mouth and said, like, Elijah Moore, like, I want to be traded, and they put him in in the final preseason game and he balled out, that was kind of, me to me, a sign of, like, 
the guy's ready. He yeah. he he can play, and he's backed it up enough to say, "Look." And they put him in a lot in games, but he just wasn't looked to on a high quality of targets, you know, with the Jets. So to me, like this is a guy that I go, I'm willing to give him a second chance. Um, on my dynasty rosters and especially early this year just to see what goes down yeah one of the things that you always make a great point when you talk about uh, and like a highly drafted player or that regime bringing in their guy versus a player that might be lower drafted and and i know trent sherfield's a player that you've talked about before where he was kind of down the cardinals depth chart and he absolutely crushed it in training camp but they wouldn't put him on the field because they had players that they drafted above him that they wanted to make sure to give those guys a shot and so Denzel Mims being in that prior regime you know they bring in Corey Davis for Robert Sala's offense and they bring in these other guys that they fit what they want to do exactly versus kind of trying to shove a guy that they didn't pick into into a different area for sure so who's your guy that you feel like just wound up in a situation that hurt him more than the negatives that you would find on a scouting report so I'm going to go to the other side of the ball, and I know we don't talk about the other side of the ball a lot. Isaiah Simmons coming out of Clemson. Isaiah Simmons was a player coming out of Clemson a handful of years ago, and I think he came in and NFL defenses Vance Joseph with the Cardinals. I don't know that they really knew what to do with him, and, and I think that it's um, he he's a very he's a, you, that utility that Swiss Army knife type player. But I think where his struggle coming in not putting him in one spot to get him comfortable in a defense and kind of being like, you're going to be a strong safety. And once we've mastered being a strong safety, and I think that this is one thing the Cowboys have done well with Micah Parsons, where they're like, we're going to have master you being a strong safety if that's what we decide in our defense. And once you've got that down, okay, now we can do different things with you. Now we can move you through that formation because you have that anchor. You have that basis to understand what you do in that role. And so I think when they brought in Isaiah Simmons, they viewed him as that going to be that Swiss Army knife piece that I think a lot of defenses are looking for to kind of combat a lot of the spread attacks and those types of things that you see while still being able to play against the run game. But I don't think he ever got comfortable in, in any one role. And I think because of that, we just saw this past couple of months where his fifth-year option is not going to be picked up. He's going to be essentially a free agent unless he plays out of his mind and gets the tag on him or who knows what's going to happen there. But that's a player that coming into the drafts, I think he went eighth overall, I believe. But there was so much hype and so much excitement around him with Clemson, and he was just – such a skilled natural athlete and i'm somebody like sean taylor's one of my all-time favorite players and so i go back to like if you get a big safety that can a rangy guy like that is right in my wheelhouse that is what i absolutely love and so i think simmons could have been that type of player but he just never had that anchor to what he's going to understand the position to grow outside and become more nice yeah love it so how about a player you're taking as much as possible during the first five rounds of drafts this year for redraft. Who's who's someone that you're just like, when that name comes up at this particular time, this range of picks, second or third, first or second, whatever. Who's someone you're just like, I just can't pass him up when, when he's there. So I wrote a spotlight a couple weeks ago about Derrick Henry is a player that he's landing and I'm, I'm doing a bunch of these underdog drafts right now because it's that time of year and I'm, I'm kind of doing those and those are half point PPR format and I'm getting him in the third round and it just kind of blows my mind a little bit on, on one of what that draft room is doing in terms of 
pushing up wide receivers and letting running backs slide a little bit. But I know that there he started to show some signs of slowing down last year. But at the same time, he showed a lot of growth in the passing game that he hadn't shown previously in his career, at least his end overall numbers ended up there. And so I'm landing him in the third round. And if you give me Derrick Henry in the third round, I'm going to take that all day, especially the growth that we saw in the passing game last year. And, and I know there are concerns around that Titans offensive line, but they, they use that first round pick to, to grab Skronsky, the guy out of North, uh, Northwestern to try to kind of ease that a little bit. Now we just see that offense add DeAndre Hopkins. And so that I think has started to bubble him up a little bit more as we see running backs later in the summer get up there but uh, Derrick Henry where I was able to grab him that's a guy that I have a, on a lot of rosters that's going in the top five rounds yeah it's ridiculous because when people talk about the Titans offensive line you remember we we need to remember that the reason the Titans are being talked about is so bad wasn't what they did this year because this year hasn't happened yet it's what yeah. they did last year and he had 1800 total yards from scrimmage yes. last year so if he's slipping you, you, I'll just say this because I know you know the answer to this as well as I do, which is, if anyone out, you know, anyone says, well, he's slipping a little bit. Okay, you tell me the difference between him slipping and having just shitty offensive line play because yeah. that's probably the real difference there. So yeah, yeah, I'm totally about that. The only issue I would have is maybe Tajay Spears gets more of the passing game because he's so dynamic in open space and he's shown to be very good um, as a one-on-one -on -one receiver. But I don't think it's going to be such an impact that you're going to look at this and say, oh my God, he just made Derrick Henry like running back 29, you know, yeah. it, this year. It's, gonna, it's more likely that Derrick Henry will be running back 9 or running back 12, which is still a lot higher than running back 19 relative to, you know, how, er how early picks fare and the, and the differential between that. So yeah, I love that pick. I'm going to name a few guys that just come to mind. I mean, Nick Chubb, 15th. Yeah. Jerome, Jerome Ford looks like he could be a Kareem Hunt compliment, but even if he is the Kareem Hunt compliment, Nick Chubb at 15 is still probably three to five picks lower than where you where you would get him if it was Kareem Hunt instead of Jerome Ford um, in that spot. Um, CD, Real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Um, Elijah Moore, do you see him as uh, – there's starting to be some rumors and rumblings that maybe Elijah Moore grabs some of that Kareem Hunt role a little bit, uh, working out of the backfield a little bit, maybe a, a Debo Samuel Light type uh, kind of – flexing him into the backfield do you think that that's something that the Browns will actually carry through into the season yeah I think they'll do some of that and we saw some of that at Ole Miss that was very effective yeah. but I don't think we're going to see it to the level where you know you know it's it's still a gadget and to me mm -hmm. at some point the defense is going to do a couple of things and that gadget gets lost in the couch cushion and yeah. you, you never find it again, um, at least until you're moving or you're changing couches and it falls out as the movers are taking it out of your house. So <laughs> I'm not really relying deeply on yeah. that. It'll be a massive revelation that they use them that much. But it's a great question. I mean, C.D. Lamb to me, everyone seems to be like down on C.D. Lamb. And I'm thinking you added Brandon Cooks, who is a nice compliment. He may not be Amari Cooper, but he's solid enough and if Gallup's a year healthier it, and and you still have decent tight end play I mean 
what more do you want from a complete wide receiver? Like, to me, he's one of the safest picks you can have. I mean, Dak Prescott may get criticized, but if you're in Dallas and you're not Roger Staubach, then you're you're going to be criticized, you know, pretty much for life as, as the quarterback there. Chris Olave, to me, is as safe as it gets. Like, I, I, I don't understand. You know, to me, that's a that's a safe pick in, in those ranges. So those are guys to me that I think in the top 50. And then if I'm like feeling kind of like feeling kind of froggy and thinking I want to take a quarterback somewhere at the, in the fifth round, just to, just because Trevor Lawrence at 59, yeah. I mean, to me, I feel like that's not that far away from getting what could happen, go wrong. If Josh Allen ends up in a, in a rougher situation or Mahomes doesn't really work out and Herbert, you know, kind of whether or not this offense, you know, continues where I think you're getting comparable play out of Trevor Lawrence at a slightly cheaper cost. So, you know, I don't usually like to pay that early, but I'm not going to lose, you know, I'm one of those people that doesn't lose my mind about going, I must follow late round quarterback dictates. So, yeah. Yeah, I think Lawrence is really that breaking point in that the top tier of quarterbacks where and and given the advantage that we saw out of those quarterbacks last year, I really want to get one of those guys because he's 25 points per game from guys like Hertz and Josh Allen versus you're falling back that late round quarterback strategy unless you're streaming into something you're looking at more like 16, 17 points per game. And that's eight points per game of, of advantage. And you start to stack those types of things. If you're able to grab a Travis Kelsey and, and lock that in your tight end and then grab Josh Allen, yeah, you would make make some sacrifices at wide receiver and quarterback, but you can aggregate an extra player into your lineup versus an, like the back end, the back top 12 of those players at those different positions. So, so who are players in the top 60 that you're like, yeah, no thanks. Like I'm just... I, I may value what they could become at one day or even this year, but the, the the juice is not worth the squeeze at this point. So there's two guys that I see consistently falling on the 2-3 turn in a lot of underdog drafts, and that's Devonta Smith and T. Higgins. And, and I love the offensive structure that they're both in. I love the talent of both players, but to me, when you're looking at using a second-round pick on a Devonta Smith or a T. Higgins – that is a very, very premium pick that one, the, the comparable running backs that are usually falling in that area, I think are just night and day in terms of the value that they can provide to your teams. But two, I, I believe that out, outside of an injury to AJ Brown or to Jamar Chase for a significant portion of the season or that playoff run, I think you're drafting a player at their ceiling. And, and I don't love doing that, especially in the second round there. And so those are guys that where I'm seeing them in underdog drafts landing in that 24, 25 ADP. I just can't pull the trigger on those. And, and this past week, they, the underdog launched a bunch of these Pomeranian drafts. And so that's a $3 contest with no rake on it. And winner wins 30K. And Pomeranian as in like the little y yippy dog? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So all their contests are named after dogs and whatnot. So, but but I like when I landed on the, the 101 or early picks, I was grabbing Saquon Barkley because like everybody is fading him where like that same ADP that people are taking Devonta Smith. And and that's just a night and day conversation for me. Wow. They should name that Pomeranian draft the Matt Harmon draft just because oh, yeah. the Matt Harmon's dog draft, you know, even though his 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 puppy is a little bigger and a little tougher than the Pomeranian. I've met I've met old I met the I met the old man at this point. But uh 
But yeah, for me, my two are my past two running back ones in the past two rookie scouting portfolios. Not because I don't love their talents. I mean, Bijan Robinson's my running back one in in yeah. long builds. Um, it, it, you know, right now, but running back three, running back. Th- I mean, I get the the connection with Derrick Henry, Arthur Smith, Bijan Robinson, but. Derrick Henry, year one, while, of course, Arthur Smith was a tight ends coach, so he had no say in this, but they had DeMarco Murray, an aging DeMarco Murray, who had, what, I think 1,800 total yards year one in Derrick Henry's career. And then year two in 2017, you know, Murray still got 900 total yards from scrimmage. And so when I look at that and I think of the Atlanta depth chart, with Cordell Patterson, who's old, but doesn't have all that mileage, but they're probably like, we want to use him more as a receiver. That's what they're saying. But you also have Tyler Algier, who, you know, I, I never was in love with as a prospect, but he's a solid outside runner. And with their outside zone scheme, he can catch. He's a decent enough blocker. And while they're moving Robinson around and trying all the different things that they can do with him, at the end of the day, they're trying to protect what's essentially a rookie quarterback in terms of his first full year as a starter in Desmond Ritter. Are they really going to put... Now, Robinson could wind up being that really good blocker right away and be assignment savvy, and it's a moot point. And if that happens, and he gets all the the receiving potential that, that his ability shows, and they don't take him out of the red zone either then yes, running back three, I get it. But everybody's drafting him at his ceiling. To me, yes. that's his ceiling. So why wouldn't you, you know, to me, his midpoint is really more like running back 13, running back 14, where you account for the fact that Cordero Patterson's pretty good in the red zone. Like, and he's big, he's 230 pounds, and he can catch. And Algiers proven. So are they really going to, throw everything at him right away right now and have him overthink things or are they going to ease him in a little bit and let him do more and then what happens if he doesn't catch on to some things and they use some of these guys he could wind up being more of a low-end running back too in especially Atlanta offense that still has to prove that it can get off the ground after last year where everyone was hyped about Kyle Pitts with his thousand yard season and then yes he missed seven games but he only had 300 yards a little over 300 yards last year so to me robinson is scary at that point at at 13 at as running back three pick eight at least in our football guys consensus adp and then when you look at Brees hall like i get makai becton is healthy and he's unlimited in drafts but when you look at the thin Aaron Rodgers, you know, who's, who's um, you know, showing up in those photos and you're going, this guy's getting in shape to run. This guy's trying, knows he's not going to have the offensive lines of the past and he's going to have to be able to move. And I just look at that and I think, yeah, Brees Hall, Brees Hall doesn't have a great offensive line. Aaron Rodgers will do a better job of getting him into good calls, which is great. And maybe they have a slightly better O-line than last year. But then there's also the injury. He is a hard-cutting, dynamic, creative back who 
does great things when he trusts his body. The last running back I remember who trusted his body right out of the gate and played like he did before his injury was Adrian Peterson in that 2,000-yard season. Not anybody since. So I'm, you know, actually, the only guy since might have been Tajay Spears, but that was at Tulane, not in the NFL. So hard for me to take Brees Hall at 26th overall or in that range of running back 10 when, again, like you said, there's T. Higgins, Chris Olave, Najee Harris, you know, is going to get a, enough volume, even if, you know, maybe he's not as dynamic, but he's going to get a lot of touches probably, even with the threat of Jalen Warren there. you still got Metcalf. I mean, Joe Burrow, if you want to go run. You know, there's just a – Jameer Gibbs I'd rather take the bet on than, yeah. than Brees Hall right now. So two, three years from now, you know, next year, Brees Hall, absolutely. This year, that scares me. It does. Yeah. And I think that that's fair. And those are players that I probably have a little bit higher in my ranks than I'm really comfortable with. I, I, I did projections this year for the first time. And, and so um, I kind of followed your model where I did projections and I kind of just put them when the projections came out, like those are my ranks and, and kind of put that out there. And, and I think that I know that usually around the industry, there's a little bit of massaging that occurs relative to ADP that I haven't quite got to that level yet. But um, I think that both of those guys worked out pretty pretty highly when I did projections on them. But I think that those are top end pie in the sky probably projections relative to what could occur and when you really look at the Falcons offense splitting that up I I think that you're really going to need that target tree to really just be Drake London Kyle Pitts and Bijan Robinson if all three of those players are to deliver at their ADPs where they're sitting at and and Cordero Patterson is still going to be used and, and they talk a lot about him being essentially the spiritual leader of that offense and they absolutely love that guy. And so he's going to be on the field. He's going to see usage. Matt Collins is kind of around there a little bit. I know Johnu Smith is a guy that has a history with Arthur Smith. And so, and Tyler Algier, like you mentioned, you're, if those guys are not zeros, I mean, those all three are either Falcons are going to have to be a lot higher offensive ceiling than what we, they showed last year, or that's going to be tough to deliver. And the Jets, too, that, that depth of that running back room, you, you know, you kind of look at that and say, coming off that injury – everybody's kind of hoping that Reese Hall is ready to go very quickly, but the Jets have playoff expectations. I think with that defense and with Rodgers being there, I mean, that could be a situation where they cycle through some of those backs early in the season. One, to see if a real true compliment to Brees Hall steps up, but two, to kind of pull Brees Hall for that stretch run a little bit and to allow him to acclimate and get more comfortable. And so you're sitting there week six, seven, and eight. That might be great for the Jets if they're in playoff contention and can I hold him back. But on your fantasy team, if you as the second or third round pick on Brees Hall and you're not getting a real full production until week 10, I mean, your season's over. Yeah, without a doubt. And I love how you brought up being at the ceiling of your projection. And I think all of us do that with certain players. Uh, Cam Akers is at the ceiling of my project of his yeah. my projection for him and i have ranked higher than probably anybody in the industry right now and we'll see if i revisit that because you know i'm i'll be revisiting a lot of my projections at the end of this month and and yeah. there's some things there but he's that type of player that i was like no nah, you know what i'm gonna keep him up there just because yeah i have questions about the offensive line i have questions about his relationship with sean mcveigh but what he did with the little that they had last year at the end was just so heavily weighted in my mind of what 
yeah. what he's capable of that I was just like, I'm not going to leave it, you know? So who are three players that you're not drafting, you know, at the end of drafts, but you're keeping them high on your free agent shortlist who you think could earn some draft capital before August ends. You know, if they have a good camp now, you're like, I've got to draft them now to get them. But right now I'm just, you know, I'm just keeping an eye out for them. Um, Malik Davis in Dallas right now, because I look at that, that cowboy situation. And I think some people are leaning Ronald Jones in that situation. Maybe Deuce Vaughn sees some involvement. I just have a very hard time believing that Tony Pollard is going to be a true bell cow running back in that system. One we've seen, and, th and that kind of depends on, do they lean more on Brian Schottenheimer's history or is it more Mike McCarthy's history? Because well, one, we saw McCarthy use dual backs in green Bay, quite frequently and in Dallas, but two, Brian Schottenheimer's system is that uh, air core yell, that play action off the power run game that really doesn't fit into Tony Pollard's wheelhouse over and over and over again. And, and so I think there's got to be some compliment that steps up in Dallas. And so Malik Davis right now is the guy that was on the roster last year that did see some work in a little bit limited action towards the end of last year as a rookie coming in his second year and having that comfort in the system that's a guy that I'm keeping an eye on that if we get reports that he's running clearly ahead of the other guys or we see him emerge during the preseason I think that he's going to be a guy that you're going to leave your draft with uh, Travion Williams in in uh, Cincinnati that's what somewhere Chase Brown came in and I think everybody especially in the dynasty community got very excited about a new rookie being inserted into Cincinnati but to me, that's very similar to what we saw with Samaj P. Ryan and Chris Evans the last two years when Evans was the rookie and everybody was excited about Chris Evans. But P. Ryan was that veteran that understood the offense. And I think that the Joe Burrow offense was Zach Taylor there. I think they put heavy emphasis on that, that veteran feeling comfortable with him being able to play those third downs with Mixon and being able to pass block. And Travion Williams, tremendously productive college player at Texas A&M coming in and, and not really getting a shot quite yet, but having four years in that system, I think that's the situation. And it already kind of sounds like the drum beats around the, the beat reporters are saying that, hey, this is the number two guy. And I don't think that fantasy is really valuing him at that position right now. I know I just wrote an article about him last week and Chase Brown is coming off as like running back 4550 and Travion Williams' ADP is like running back 90. It's like not even in the same ballpark. Um, so those are two. And then Isaiah Likely in, in Baltimore because I'm really curious what Todd Munkin is going to do with that offense coming in from Georgia, coming in from that dual tight end system, having Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers. We know, obviously, Mark Andrews is going to be there, and he's talked a little bit about running some four wide receiver sets, and Baltimore has never been equipped to do that in the recent history, but now they kind of are. But likely stands as a guy that can really emerge, and, and when I look at the, the Georgia tight ends and kind of match them up a little bit, and, and maybe Patrick Ricard ends up being that Darnell Washington role in that offense, but uh, I think there's a lot of similarities. Brock Bowers, I think, is a better, higher-level athlete than Isaiah Likely, but I think that they can do a lot of similar type things that if he's running a lot of uh, 12 personnel using both of those tight ends on the field a lot, Isaiah Likely, I think, is a player that on the back end could really kind of step into that top 12 tight end conversation. I love it. Justin Ross headlines mine. I mean, I know that a lot yeah. of people love Justin Ross now, and he's on the lips of a lot of names because he got first team reps early in camp, which again, doesn't mean much 
right now but it's a drum beat it's a second drum beat to really call it the third drum beat the, the first drum beat last year was patrick mahomes praising him for how he looked as a rookie then he got hurt and that was pretty much it then patrick mahomes dad was the second drum beat saying the name first name i should mention um after seeing these guys work it, with patrick in the offseason on his field at home Justin Justin Ross and with Rishi Rice both were mentioned but Ross was mentioned there as well and then of course we're seeing him making plays enough that we're hearing you know Andy Reid say they trust that Patrick Mahomes trusts Justin Ross so that may be drumbeat three and then drumbeat four is Justin Ross making enough plays to be getting first team reps and OTAs so there's already four drumbeats for him I would say if you start from last year that are good enough that looking at where he's available, which is really, you know, free agency in most drafts, he's a guy that I expect to raise up there because again, he's more of a Hakeem Nicks deep threat than he is a an MVS deep threat. You know, MVS is more of a speedster who you kind of hope and pray that he's gonna make the contested catch and he's kind of like the guy that's gonna strike out on one, you know, two out of three. But the one that he does get is a game-changing play, and Mahomes is is creative enough to work around that if things don't work out. But Evan, but Ross is more of that Hakeem Nicks who you line up on the island. He's not gonna he's not gonna blow by you, but he's gonna run a good enough route and win in a contested manner well enough that the placement with Patrick Mahomes is gonna be good enough that he can get that job done and still be that kind of guy, or maybe there's an outside chance he could play a little bit of that Juju Smith-Schuster role if they needed him too. So I think there's a couple of avenues for him to succeed. And I think he's going to make the team. Like, I, I just think he's talented enough to do that. So he's one. Keontae Ingram. Like, you know, yeah. you've got you got Zach Evans, who's like 211 on ADP. He's getting drafted. And I like Zach Evans a lot. And certainly part of that's due to Cam Newton. But Keontae Ingram is a talented running back who entered the team, you know, Arizona when they're, they, you know, they had Cliff Kingsbury and everything's in kind of turmoil. Their offense is getting beaten on. And, and Eno Benjamin shocked everyone and, and played well enough to be the number two. But they kept saying, we like this Ingram kid, like quietly kind of said that. And he made the active roster. And next thing you know, he's the second team running back to finish the year with Eno Benjamin trying to latch onto the Saints right now I think yeah. at best so Ingram to me <laughs> is in a situation where the, you're probably going to see a little bit more running you're probably going to see a little bit more emphasis emphasis of blocking especially with Trey McBride maybe being the 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 main guy there blocking with Colt McCoy running the offense for a while they're going to need that running game a bit um and Ingram can catch. To me, he's a Kareem Hunt starter kit type of player. Yeah. You know, so running back 81, he's, he, you know, you're getting a running back two behind, yeah, that, 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 that guy we know, you know, in terms of, um, you know, the former Steelers running back who you, just, I can't remember his name, the, the James Conner, you know, with, yes. with James Conner, I mean, we know that, you know, look, he's a tough player, but he's a physical player and can get beaten up a little bit so ingram to me and then the guy right after him is richie james who again another chiefs guy 
I mean, talk all you want about Sky Moore. Sky Moore is Sky Moore gets a lot of love, and he's you know he spent last year having to learn a lot of stuff and refashion his game. Now, everybody looks at Richie James, and you know I'll I I and they think of him as like, well, he's a journeyman wide receiver. But there, he, to me, he he's not Antonio Brown, but I thought he had a lot of qualities that were similar to what Antonio Brown does well um, in terms of the versatility of where you could use him. Maybe he's not that contested catch type of player, but after the catch, he's dynamic. He's a, he's a decent enough route runner, and whenever he's put on the field, he performs well. So he's also a guy that before his rookie year he worked out with Patrick Mahomes in the offseason um, so they have a familiarity and he also got mentioned as one of the notable players and you know this week that stood out and I and I just believe that he was probably their best receiver in New York last year um, and I you know it was a guy I said last year this time actually in April of last year, I was like, watch out for Richie James in New York because he he's underrated. You know, Mike Kyle Shanahan, you know, is very exacting about what he wants from receivers, and James really didn't fit that mold, but when they had to put him in, he played well. So he's a guy that I just look at and think, you know, there there's a lot of depth there on that roster, and James can play multiple roles, and there's multiple avenues for him as well. And while I know that it's really a two-man game, in the passing game for the Chiefs, um, it's very possible that that second man, you know, if it's not Kadarius Tony, who's banged up already, you know, then who's the next guy who can play that Tony role? And to me, it may not be Sky Moore. Sky Moore can certainly is next on the list, but James is the guy that is going to be consistent. And if we see more still have inconsistency well coaches love a you know they don't look they look at guys with ability and say we can find anybody with ability you know we want someone with consistency and james is that guy that may have a little bit more proof of of concept with that yeah so my, my thought um one i think that th that's great and especially hitting two of the chiefs there because um like a lot of my minds in, in basketball right now and, and like I'm looking at it as like I want to leave drafts if I'm not feeling very good about my wide receivers give me a late shot on a chief because you're giving me an ambiguous target tree hooked to Patrick Mahomes or the Panthers or the Giants are two other ones that just throw a dart at it because they might end up being the number one guy for those offenses but really when you look at the Chiefs wide receivers I think that you can split the guys pretty easily into buckets where you kind of got MVS and Justin Ross as those field stretchers. And I think Ross has got a bigger game. He could grow into than MBS, just like you mentioned, I think sky Moore and probably Rasheed rice a little bit too, are going to be those guys that you can move throughout formation. And they, they're going to be on the field for, you might see very high snap counts out of, out of them, but you might not see targets that are in line with those high snap counts where it might be the type of thing of like, well, he's on the field, he's going to get the ball from Mahomes, and then he's just not getting the ball that often. 
Whereas Tony, and then by extension, Richie James, playing that role in a lot of what the Chiefs did very successfully, especially against the Eagles, they the way they combated that too high was they created conflict and created those layers underneath getting the ball in guys' hands and allowing them to have that ability to create after the catch. A lot of misdirection, a lot of those types of things of you know, bringing the everything play side one way, and then you've got the wide receiver kind of coming out the back gate, those types of things. And so James is a fantastic player for that type of football. He's got the natural return ability, natural ability to create with the ball in his hands. And it might be the type of thing where, yeah, you want Kadarius Tony to be in that role, but at some point, when do we stop trusting Kadarius Tony? And when did the Chiefs just say, we can't trust this guy to be available? Richie James, this is your job. Yeah, go back and watch the Middle Tennessee State, anybody who's listening to this. And watch Richie James as a runner, and you'll be impressed. Watch him as a blocker, you'll be impressed. He is a, he was a physical player who could be used in that Hardman-esque role, and I would dare say he might surprise and be better than what Hardman was, but give you also a little bit more versatility so that you can get better volume than what Hardman had to offer. Um, but this is as everything comes together, and we're talking about guys who – we're not even drafting, but we're keeping an eye on. So keep that in mind. So now speaking of draft, who's someone from the 2024 class that just caught your eye for whatever reason? And you're like, I want to watch more of them, or I've already watched a ton of them. And I'm just enthusiastic about what I see. Yeah, I want to dig a little bit deeper on this question and not give the, the you know standard answers. Um, Donna, so, so one of the things that I like to look for is if a guy's not dominant in terms of counting numbers right away as a, a freshman or sophomore, who's a guy that kind of ends up stepping up in big moments? And, and I know Chris Olave is a favorite of both of ours, and that was a player that early in his career, he would just be in big moments, and, and he would just be there. And Donnie Mitchell from uh, Georgia and now at Texas is a guy that um, he has some injuries, the production, the counting numbers aren't exactly there, and if you're a college fantasy guy, they, they're kind of off him a little bit. But that is a guy that he's just – he makes a touchdown catch in the national championship like without fail, it seems like. And and so just kind of one of those guys that stepped up in big moments. He's a big body receiver, 6'3", 6'4", type receiver. And he's shown on his tape there's some physicality. He's not afraid to go over the middle, and he can stretch the field vertically. He's got some route running chops too as well. And so that's a player that I think is off the radar sitting in, in a lot of uh, – again like the college fantasy type or if you're that mindset that debbie type they're not really mentioning him a ton but that's a player he's playing with quinn ewers now this this year in texas and if quinn ewers takes those natural steps forward or if it ends up being arch manning that could be a much improved passing attack and he could show a lot more and that's a player that i think could really rise up the chart there having that experience with Georgia, having big game experience and then stepping into what should be a bigger pass attack where we've seen start steve sarkeesian develop those wide receivers when he was with alabama and, and churn out some of those nfl wide receivers yeah that's a great name and and really i mean a great name just in the sense that it's the english spelling for the hebrew word for god actually pronounced adonai but it's a but it's uh but uh, Adani Mitchell I mean again when you look at what he did on that Georgia tape I I totally understand why he would catch and catch your eye Nakia Watson to me the running back out of Washington State formerly with Wisconsin you know he's in that 220 range I think they listed him at 237 at one point so either he was that or they exaggerated that um or he lost that weight you know 
because watching him at Washington, you know, he didn't catch a pass at Wisconsin. Gee, yeah. big surprise, right? You know, but like Melvin Gordon, he actually can catch the football. Um, and watching him at Washington State, he's used a lot as a receiver. He has a great first move in the open field to make people miss. And he does a good job on edge runs, being able to transition downhill efficiently so that he can maximize his burst, which I think is notable. I think he has a notable enough burst that it, it's not like Michael Wiley, who I was talking about on Twitter yesterday with you, mm-hmm. you know, who has that, that burst that you're like, ooh, sec- safeties are going to be scared of this guy. But Nakia Watson's enough to go is more that guy where safeties are scared of him at the end of games because he's fast enough to get in the secondary and build that momentum and now they got to now they've got to be physical to bring him down and at the end of a game the, you see guys make business decisions and i think watson's the type of guy that can force business decisions he's he seems to be a fairly smart runner from what i've seen in in the system he's in in washington state and I want to go back and watch a little bit of Wisconsin tape with him just to see how he operates in like heavy sets. But in an NFL passing game that's spreading more and more apart, he really does look the part of a back who can contribute um, in the league. Now, you know how high his draft capital will be—that's a big story. That's a that's a longer term thing for me to determine. But after watching a few games of his this weekend, I I liked what I saw. Yeah, you know, I'm a Big Ten guy, and so, like, you get me these bigger backs that are playing in weather, and that that just really, I, I really enjoy that quite a bit, and so that's a great call there. Okay, so who's, if you had omnipotent power over an NFL team, and you can pick the team if you want, or you could just keep it generic, however you want to go, what's the one thing you would do to change their fortunes, hopefully for the better? So, so the team that I thought of that I would take control of would be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and and I would tell you what we would not win a game in 2023. <laughs> we we would we would, and and I think it's interesting to me because I I feel like you've got the Buccaneers and the Cardinals are two of these teams, and and you look at the NBA, and the NBA just went full blown like we don't even care anymore. We're we're not even going to try to be competitive, but we're trying going to try to land these top end top end players and really in the NBA it's interesting because it's really just a shot you're you're kind of getting ping pong balls we haven't really seen anybody in the NFL go to that extreme but we've got two guys coming up in this draft where you've got Caleb Williams and you've got Drake May from North Carolina Caleb Williams from USC and and I would be if I had omnipotent powers I would I would issue an apology letter to the season ticket holders of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and tell them explicitly we are not going to win a game in 2023 <laughs> because we want Caleb Williams or if we decide we're going to go with Drake May that's going to be our guy because I, that seems to be a franchise that is uh, kind of got two feet we're straddling between that having that Super Bowl era with Tom Brady and not wanting to go all the way into the future but. Um, if Williams ends up being as good as some people believe he could be, he could instantly compel you right back in, especially in that NFC South division where you're the team to beat in that division for the next 10 to 15, 20 years even. And so that that is uh, that was where my mind went, where it seems to be that um, NFL teams, you go 0-17, you know you're going to get that number one pick, but it seems to be a lot of hesitation on actually actively taking that step to do it. Yeah, like, I, I love it. and And you look at Tampa Bay and it's one of those scenarios where you look at Chris Godwin and and Michael Evans and you think they're going to be rotten on the vine for the next year or two 
if things don't work out. And they've got a nice young tight end in Otten who I think can be a, a chain mover for them. Um, but that offensive line needs to get better. Maybe it will be. It, I see what you're saying with how they're straddling the situation. And, and you know, I'm no Baker Mayfield fan. So I think that, you know, and I don't think they will be either, even though he's he's going to want to prove get an opportunity to prove it. And he believes in himself. He's saying all the right things, you know, and I think he legit, you know, obviously you have to legitimately believe that you're a good quarterback to be in the NFL and get that shot. And hopefully he proves a lot of people wrong like myself. Um, I would love to go over the Browns and talk about what I'd do with the Browns, but, you, you know, I don't, um, I don't really want to talk about just like replacing Deshaun Watson with another player so that our that there wouldn't be ambivalence to root for that yeah. player though I think that that I have a player that will I'll talk about in my next question um, that could relate to that and maybe even relate to this team that I am going to take over and that's the New England Patriots if I had an omnipotent power over an NFL team I'd still want Bill Belichick to be the coach for as long as possible but I would make damn sure that he understands that whatever he's doing and whatever his his team is doing they suck at drafting wide receivers who don't play in the slot and he knows it anyway and i would take over i would draft wide receivers for the new england patriots like he could have input on slot receivers if we're going to still run some systems that are related to what he wants to do but perimeter receivers that's my gig we're going to we're going to we're going to draft some good outside receivers for him or at least guys who can do a little bit of both for you and be compelling enough outside that you're not getting Jacoby Myers as your outside receiver even yeah. though maybe he'll surprise in in Las Vegas but we're going to get some legit dudes um and that's what I would do to at least set the table so that he can get a quarterback in there that that actually might be able to be a worthy successor that will get people wistfully talking about Tom Brady, but not absolutely missing Tom Brady to the extent that they are right now. So in five years, Jeff, blank will do blank. What's Who would you fill into the blanks here for that statement? In five years, blank will blank. In five years, Patrick Mahomes will be unanimously viewed as the greatest quarterback of all time. So in five years, Patrick Mahomes, he'll be right on the cusp of hitting top 10 in passing yardage and touchdowns if he doesn't miss any time from injury. So the counting numbers will be right there where he's within five years or so of clamping down on Tom Brady and number one overall in both of those categories. He will, I think he will have stacked up at least one or two more Super Bowls the way that things are looking right now and sitting at three or four right at you know he's be early 30s and so he'll have a still a runway on that assuming he wants to keep playing but i think the things that we've seen so far in the first five years of his career the way he's figuring out the league the way the league is not being able to counterpunch him i think that will be at a place where everybody is in agreement saying that he's the best quarterback of all time if Ga if gail sayers got in the hall of fame with with his short career Patrick Mahomes is already a Hall of Famer, if you ask yes. me. But, uh, of course, I'm not the crotchety writers who make these decisions. So I'm just a crotchety fantasy writer and, and independent scout. But so with that in mind, you know, I always have to have an opportunity to be contractually obligated to fulfill 
you know, this requirement. So I'll say in five years, Chad Kelly will be a top 10 fantasy quarterback in the NFL. Um, I love that. You, you know, and it's, and it's an ongoing thing, but it was told to me last year or two years ago um, by Russ Landy. Russ Landy said that the, and he was the Argonauts head of scouting at that point, or the Alouettes head of scouting at that, at one point, and then heard about when he, heard about Chad Kelly signing in, in the CFL, the the Colts former quarterback coach said, listen, the kid has all the talent in the world and has enough talent to be a Warren Moon, Jeff Garcia, um, Doug Flutie type performer in the CFL who earns a starting gig in the NFL once he gets through winning multiple Grey Cup championships. Um, the NFL is a league where if you keep the tread on the tire well enough that you're not too banged up, you can play quarterback into your late 30s, maybe early 40s on occasion, especially if you're a great athlete. Chad Kelly's a great athlete. Chad Kelly was a better athlete than Deshaun Watson was coming to Clemson. Chad Kelly with a hernia surgery and a torn ACL was blowing past Georgia cornerbacks and safeties for 50-yard runs for scores. He was a dual threat quarterback with a huge arm. Now, the thing was, is Kelly had offers to stay in the NFL after his stint with the Colts, but realized he needed to get his emo his emotional maturity together. And he said he wanted to play near his family so that when things got weird or he could stay grounded and continue to be more of a grounded guy than where he was heading after the whole incident with the vacuum cleaner and the and the house in Denver after the Halloween party where he wandered in there drunk um, yeah. and self-destructed. But you look at the track he's on, he basically won them a Grey Cup last year. He's the best quarterback maybe in the league this year and and lighting it up and looking impressive. And he's going to turn 30 next year. So even if he stays in the league for another three to four years and wins another one to two Grey Cups, um, at 33, 34, 35, you know, he may get that shot. He may get that shot with the team. And a guy who would probably say, I don't care about what the what people thought would be a Bill Belichick. You know, he might go, listen, you know, I why, why should I care? Mac Jones ain't working out. Bailey Zappi, you know, he's interesting, but he's better as our, my Frank Reich backup type of player as opposed to my starter. Chad Kelly could give us a real chance to win. Let's mull an offense around this guy before I get out of here. You know, so that would be a, a scenario that I would think. So that, that obviously is no surprise to any RSP cast listener that I'm going to mention Chad Kelly at any point in a, in a podcast. So instead, let's talk about the biggest surprise in the 2023 season. Who do you think, what do you think will be the biggest surprise in the 2023 season in terms of a player, a team, a coach, whatever? Uh, it seems to be without clockwork, we get a team that goes from worst to first. And so I kind of took a little bit of time when you sent this over and, and looked through DraftKings on uh, who might have the best long shot division odds. And, and I came up with the Cleveland Browns uh, being at plus 425 on DraftKings. They were the last place team in the NFC, in the AFC North last year. 
They this past off season they shored some things up on their defense. They've got a full season with Deshaun Watson. They've got one of the strongest offensive lines in football. The addition of Elijah Moore. I think they're going to take down the AFC North, and, and I think that that's a, a long shot bet that you can make. That plus four twenty five. That to me stood as the best odds on a team that has the potential to win the division. I think everybody kind of gives it to the Bengals and kind of expect the Ravens to be right there. But that's a competitive enough division that can create enough losses in, in among itself. And so if the Browns just win the right games, uh, they could end up on top of the Bengals. And I don't think it's unreasonable at all. And especially if Joe Burrow were to miss any time, God forbid, you know, then that puts them in a, a catbird position. And so that is a team that I think uh, people are sleeping on just a little bit because one, their history two nobody really wants to say anything positive about Deshaun Watson and how can you blame anybody? But uh, that does seem to be a team that stars are aligning a little bit on being a surprise team in 2023. Love it. You know, I'd love to say something like Anthony Richardson will lead the Colts to the playoffs, but I'm. I think the defenses, the, the defenses might be just enough that that could happen in the South. And I like what Richardson can do, but I don't know if that's a huge surprise. Um, I think that it would be a it would be a moderate surprise. So I'm I'm going to leave that there. I'd love to say Tajay Spears will will be a top ten running back this year, but I don't want to root against Derrick Henry and him staying healthy. So I don't like that idea. So I think I'm going to just go with this. I think that the I think that the New Orleans Saints are going to be a um, top seven NFL team by the end of the year, and maybe have a have a first round bye in the playoffs with their offense leading the way. I think that their offensive line, when healthy, has the talent to turn the corner and become a dominant line again. And with the three running backs they have especially with Kamara maybe not getting as much suspension time as we first thought. might That might be a possibility. And then you add in the possibility of a healthy Michael Thomas. I know a lot of people are like, eh, wrong answer. That's not going to happen. But we saw what he did last year when he was healthy, and he looked like the guy. He looked like that great player he was against Atlanta. And they put their top guy on him early and you know late in that game and he just destroyed just destroyed the former Clemson cornerback there um so you look at him Alave Rashid Shahid you get three players who can stretch the field horizontally and vertically in different scenarios and often two guys at the same time doing that you add a healthy-ish Foster Moreau to the mix as that second tight end or maybe 1A, 1B with Jawan Johnson. And this offense could be loaded. And loaded enough that if Jimmy Garoppolo can get you to a Super Bowl, and I'm sorry, I know that he hits the clutch factors on the, you know, I think Joe Bryant brought up, like uh, showed something on our message board about all the, the data that shows clutch, defines clutch. But to me, it's more what Kirk Cousins said on um, quarterback on Netflix. It's those three gate plays per game. The difference between that narrow margin of error and those three plays per game, Jimmy Garoppolo is, eh, 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 you know, a little bit on. But I think that Derek Carr, if Jimmy Garoppolo can get there, Derek Carr, if the, all of that clicks, he could, he could at least get them a first round bye and this be a 4,500, 5,000 passing yard offense 
that people are like, I wish I got a piece or two or three of the Saints offense this year. I think they're going to be the biggest surprise. I mean, Jimmy Graham wouldn't be coming out of retirement if he didn't feel good about something. <laughs> That's right. There you go. Um, that <laughs> Now I just feel like, see, now I don't know whether you're like, you're, you're, whether you're joking on me or not, but no, like, I, but, but you know, I, I kind of like that. I kind of like that rejoinder for this because honestly that I kind of feel like that, uh, yeah, that's a, that, that just kind of put a pin in my biggest surprise, <laughs> but that's all right. This was a, uh, this is no surprise that this was a fun show to do with Jeff and we'll hopefully be able to have him on more often um throughout the year and we can you know we can chop it up like this um but special thanks to you know you can find them at for whom the bell tolls four as in the number four and then whom if you can spell whom many of you probably will say for who the belt j bell tolls but you know it's for whom j bell tolls and you can find them on twitter you can obviously find his great work at football guys the new podcast come the dynasty podcast with him and christian and um who else did I mention? Who, who else? Kevin. Is, and Kevin, especially, especially Kevin. Yep. Even he's a Cowboys fan. We don't need to talk about Kevin, you know, but that's okay. Um, with those, you know, that's going to be a good show. Obviously the dynasty, the, the draft guy that they have at football guys, definitely check that out. It's a great piece of work that you can see there. Um, still very helpful for, you know, many of your redraft scenarios and dynasty drafts coming up with the season going. Of course you can find me at Matt Waldman. Um, on Twitter, and uh, you can also find me football guys. Got a gut check coming out um, today, at least for those of you who will see when I post this on um, Wednesday on my all boom bust team. And we talked about at least a couple of those guys this hour as to why they're boom bust, and I got at least another eight or nine more. Thanks again for listening, folks, and uh, see you next week. <laughs>